Hello and welcome to the Sports Loft Podcast, where we talk about the intersection of sports and media with the world of technology and investment. Today, we're very pleased to once again take the investor's view, uh, but with a slightly different angle. So, so far, we've been speaking to investors who invest specifically in the world of sports technology and media technology. Um, and today, we're very pleased to have uh, somebody from uh, the world of consumer growth investing, but who has a lot of uh, athletes as, uh, as investors in the fund. Very, very pleased to welcome Andrew Costa, who is a principal with RX3 Ventures. Um, and we're going to talk about a number of different things, uh, including how athletes look at investments outside of the world of sports, um, technology and media, and what his view is of the general industry. So, Andrew? Absolute pleasure to have you on the Sports Loft Podcast. Welcome. Yanni, thanks so much for hosting us today. Um, been following you guys for a while. It's real excitement. Look forward to the conversation. Awesome. Well, we are a sports podcast. So the question that we ask everybody, what was your favorite sporting moment of this week? So you'd be remiss not to comment on the Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey. Um, yeah, big uh, <laughs> new relationship. Why I love it is my wife's like, you know, excited about the NFL, which is awesome. She wants to watch the, the game. Is she, is she one of the 400% increase in Travis Kelsey jersey sales? She has not bought the red jersey yet, but she really likes the New Balance red uh, shoes that Taylor was wearing. So I think those are probably going to show up on our doorstep here in a moment. <laughs> um, I think the classiest thing I've seen in a while is, uh, I don't know if folks are following the Dolphins. They're up 70 points. Um, they picked a field goal, mm. set the record for most points scored in an NFL game, and uh, nailed it. I thought that was very classy. You know, just something you don't normally see in sports. 100%. And really liked that moment as, you know, purist in the game. It just uh, resonated really well for me. So th this week, that was probably my favorite. Well, between, between the Dolphins and uh, Taylor Swift, that's a pretty good, uh, a pretty good selection. It's a great start. Season's going well thus far. <laughs> well, great to have you on board. And as I said, this is not your uh, typical, as far as typical can be in the world of funds. Um, this is not your typical uh, sports technology fund. You guys uh, approach the market from a different perspective, but you do have a lot of athletes who are LPs. So walk us a little bit through um, what the foundational principles of RX3 are. And uh, we'll get into how you've brought on board, who the athletes are, how you've brought them on board, and how they view the world of investing. Yeah, so maybe it makes sense to start. Let's take you back to 2016, um, where my partner, Nate, and uh, another general partner, Aaron Rodgers, who has been in the news uh, a little bit lately. Heard of him. <laughs> they, um, you know, we're doing a lot of kind of liquid one-off investing. Aaron didn't always want to lean in, put his name behind things. Thought maybe there's a better way to do this. Let's go out, see, you know, get some of Aaron's friends, get some high net worth folks, put this together, put a front engine on it and run at it with a portfolio approach. And I think that lends itself, you know, most actively to health, wellness, active lifestyle within the consumer space. And these are companies where our LPs can really lean in in an authentic way. If they love the brand, can talk about it. And, you know, that's not just social, it's jumping on podcasts, it's doing different things, whatever that means to them. They can really lean in to um, stoke differentiated returns. So, yeah, that was kind of the ideation of RX3. And flash forward, our first fund was a smaller $50 million vehicle, 19 portfolio companies there. Um, you know, if anybody wants to look it up, it's on the website. Uh, but you'll see a lot of, you know, names where 
you know, these are companies that are household names, category leading brands, uh, where folks can lean in and, you know, add differentiated returns. Um, since then, um, you know, fully deployed that first fund. We went out last year, raised our second fund, uh, which is a $150 million vehicle. And building on some of the case studies out of our first fund, we really saw that, you know, we need to increase the breadth of the celebrity with us. And that might mean country music stars, singers, actors, you name it, um, you know, to complement what is a probably pretty heavy NFL type LP uh, base. So that was really important with fund two for us. Um, so we're deploying out of that vehicle. We've made um, one investment thus far, and you know, I'm sure we'll get into a little bit of the macro environment. But you know, I think there's reasons to be optimistic right now um, after what's been a really difficult 12 months. But um, you know, it's uh, it's been great, and I think um, you know, I run up the deal side of the house. We have a value add side of the house that does a great job of once we've made that investment. How do we activate not only the high level talent? but all the way down to the micro influencers that know how to drive revenue, know how to drive conversion and really help these brands. So uh, in a nutshell, that's our X3. Um, we're based in Southern California and um, yeah, open for business. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you for taking the time to join us and for giving us that um, background. So the first question that I have for you, um, uh, and obviously we wish uh, Aaron a speedy recovery from his, uh, uh, from his unfortunate tear, but, uh, just as a little bit of background, because um, our audience is primarily European, I'm, I'm, I'm sure everybody is familiar with Aaron Rodgers, but obviously um, uh, future Hall of Famer, uh, multiple MVP in the NFL uh, as a quarterback for the Green Bay Packers and most recently for the New York Jets. Um, uh, and, uh, and most famous potentially for being a multiple time host of Saturday Night Live. It's as big as that But <laughs> so, um, uh, walk us through a little bit through that process of, um, deciding to move from one-off investments into building a fund and, and, and how does that, how does that conversation happen and how do you, obviously you have the network and the amplifier effect of a name like Aaron Rodgers. But when you make that decision, how do you kind of hone in on a specific territory uh, for investment and uh, deliver the elevator pitch and decide how you're going to raise raise that fund? Because you say it's a small fund, 50 million, but still you need to go out and get that money, right? And that's that's a significant commitment of time and storytelling. So I think I'd start with what are the LPs looking for? You know, a lot of them, you know, athletes, you know, they'll invest in something in the locker room. Maybe it's a buddy's company, one of their teammates. Um, you know, maybe it's a secondary focus to what they're doing. You know, we wanted to be that primary focus for them and give them kind of that avenue of, you know, let us vet the deals for you. You know, you can send us whatever you want. We'll send you questions back. We'll take a look at it. Yeah, we'll be that deal vetting source for you. But, you know, for a lot of folks, this might be their first exposure to an alternative investment. And so for us, the path to liquidity is oftentimes more important than, hey, can we get a 100x alpha on something that's like pre-revenue, early stage? So we really um, archetype the fund to focus on growth stage investments, as well as control buyouts um, with larger you know, institutional funds in the United States. And what that blends out to is, underwriting three to five X return over three to five years. And what I'd say is for these investors, they want to see capital back quickly. And once they kind of see that we can vet companies, what we look for, it's important for them to be able to lean into something. If it's a pre-revenue company with not even a marketing director, that's going to be hard. 
But if we go a little bit later stage where you have a marketing team built out and they have a affiliate program, you know, that athlete can really lean in, jump on the marketing team. We have, you know, case studies and spades of different folks that have joined companies as chief content officers, different, um, different things. So really lends itself to that consumer growth stage. So in and around a series B is like where we get uh, involved all the way up to that last round. Maybe it's a crossover round prior to an IPO or exit. And so that's really what we heard from our LPs, what they're looking for. And so that influenced how we thought about our investment process with Fund One. And you guys, I mean, you can you can potentially talk about some of the names, obviously Aaron being the 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 lead name, but how do you have the conversation with the LPs? Did it did it start, as you say, in the locker room and you bring them on board? And then one of the obvious questions, even though athletes have started to become far more um, uh, commercial in recent years and really understand of themselves as a brand and as a potential uh, growth vehicle for a number of different things. What's the variability in um, education around what a fund represents, what it means to put money in and you know, have that three to five year horizon, but with potentially bigger returns than investing in, say, a franchise or a bar or whatever athletes might usually invest in? Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so I'd say uh, specifically to talent more broadly, so including not just athletes, all, all sorts of celebrities, it is that one degree of separation of somebody they trust. And, you know, I think Aaron was pivotal in that. You know, he's had, you know, tremendous success on the field as well as off the field with his investments. And I think a lot of folks look to him as kind of that, how do I get into this? What can I do? And then that just blends itself to one degree separations. Um, the other thing I'd say is, well, we have call it 75 folks you follow on Instagram. Uh, the makeup of our capital is also institutional. We have a lot of um, RAs, uh, high net worth individuals that you know, these folks know they might be team owners, they're titans of industry. And so when we build our community together, these athletes want to interact with these very successful business folks and vice versa. The business folks want to hang with the athletes. It fosters a really cool community that I think is unique to RX3. And that just people hear about it. That blends itself to our second fundraise when we went out. You know, we had a lot of folks that were inbounding us all through fund one that, hey, can't wait to get involved with this. What's impressive is the amount of sophistication that we've seen with athletes. Now, I, I, this might not have existed 20 years ago, but what, what we're seeing is athletes that are on the field practicing 24-7 off the field. They're excited. They know there's a second chapter to their life. So how do they learn today to get set up for the next phase of life? And that's often you know, a really difficult transition. You have somebody that's been solely focused on whatever their sport is their whole life. They hang up the cleats and then now what? And so you know, what we've seen is actually a lot of folks, they know they're getting to the tail end of their career. How can I start planting those seeds out there? And where do I want to plant seeds where maybe the onus isn't all on me? You know, I can leverage a big support network of friends, LPs that we know, and then top class managers that have shown a proven track record. Yeah, I'm going to take a swing on this. And then what we do is a lot of financial literacy. So a lot of our ex-athletes who might not have been in that pitch room, met the founders, see what we do. We bring them into the office. They jump on pitches with us, ask questions. We keep it very open for them. And I think not everybody leans into it, but that's something that we always do. And then you know, on our LP day, it's very geared towards somebody that might not know the ins and outs, have worked at an investment bank, worked at a growth capital fund previously. We're explaining it from here's where we are today. 
taking all the way through the uh, you know, deep financial metrics. And then usually at the bar afterwards is when folks come up and they're like, hey, I didn't understand what you were talking about there. Can you break it down for me? And um, so wide level of uh, wide array of sophistication. But our goal is to really take you know, the folks that see something in this um, and generally they have wealth advisors. You know, there's it's not just them picking the fund. It's them talking to their wealth team, figuring out does an alternative allocation make sense? And then what should be consumer growth? And we say that should be small pocket of a smaller mm. pocket. Just one exposure here. It is a liquid. Um, we're making money and deploying money back to you when we exit these. But it's not like you can call us up and take your money back. <laughs> so I'm, I'm fascinated by this. And, you know, you can name names if you want, but, you know, don't don't name yeah. names if you don't want to. But um, in those LP days and when you bring when you bring some of those people in, what, what have been you know, some of the questions that have floored you that somebody might have asked from their background as an athlete or a celebrity or just having seen stuff that, you know, people in the world of finance won't have experienced that they asked of a team and you're like, wow, that's a really good question. Or, you know, I never would have thought of that. Has that come up? For sure. And I think actually one of the the best questions we heard was um, from a, a kicker, um, not going to single him out, but uh, NFL player, you know, he's like, how do you identify fad trends versus what's here to stay? And I, I think at the crux of it, that is a consumer investor's biggest, biggest checkbox is if I'm going to put these huge names behind something, it can't be gone in 18 months. Mm. And you know, I think we see a lot of flashy things that come out that hit that exuberance phase and you get a bunch of LP questions. Why are we not invested in you know, the next AI technology, the next blockchain technology? Then you see the disillusionment and then utility builds out of that. And, you know, I think having that patient mindset is where that question came from of, we don't want you guys going out and chasing whatever is flashy today. Like we want to be involved in brands that are going to be here, be a name that they can call their parents and talk about. It's something that they can really buy into over that three to five years and potentially longer horizon. Because a lot of these guys, they'll form relationships with the company for the long term well after our X3s exited our position. And so talk, talk a little bit about that before we move on to a closer focus on RX3 and what you guys do in the macro market. But with your LPs and kind of the amount of time that they dedicate or not into each of the companies in the portfolio, what have you been able to draw in terms of um, parallels and strengths of becoming an elite, an, an elite athlete into understanding the investment world, understanding the world of finance and um, uh, startup or scale up companies, uh, and then using that in the second chapter of their careers? Yeah. So I think the way we flip the model on its head is there's zero ask of our LPs. If they just want to sit there and collect a return and you know not be involved in our companies, that's totally fine. Um, when we bring an LP on board and their subscription docs, we do ask them, what are you interested in? Do you have pets at home? Do you guys have kids? You know, what are you open to being seated product? You know, and so we have a good feel for who wants to get involved and what they're passionate about. And so as we're underwriting an IC memo, we're going to go to the 10, 15 folks that said, hey, I have pets at home. I love the pet category. I want to be involved here. They're the folks that we're going to really drive top of funnel um, home from. And they've been in the spotlight their whole life. They're not yeah, new to the whole, hey, working with a company, getting on a podcast, doing TV spots, different bits like that. Generally, they have a great social presence and a social media manager that can help them develop content and push that out if that's needed. Um, but more than that, I think it's, they've all been on teams. They know how things work. And going back to our community, 
when Josh Allen will step in and do something, somebody else on our team will be like, oh, what's Josh doing? I want to do that. And they get competitive and trying to help brands. And it, it really builds a fun kind of dynamic of like, well, how can I be helpful? What can I do? Versus us having to go to ask them, hey, can you post this? Can you do that? Like, that's just not a sustainable model. So we really build the grassroots from the community up. Once we put them in the spotlight, they've been there. They know how to you know, interact with brands. And that is different for everybody, I think, which is beautiful about it. And that's what creates that authenticity from them. Some people have their own um, TV shows, radio spots that they plug, um, different companies that they love in. And it's all under the auspice of they know that they're investors, they have equity in this brand. And whatever they can do helps our return, helps it for everybody. So starts with the community, but we've been blown away with some of the creative things that folks will do for brands. That's that's awesome. And it's kind of it's it's very interesting, isn't it? Because athletes will be used to do that for a brand under the auspices of sponsorship, right? Which means that they're getting paid on the spot for 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 doing that. So this is kind of um, uh, doing stuff with the promise of future return. Has there been, uh, you know, you guys started in 2016, uh, which which uh, was well after the advent of social media, but, you know, still athletes were only just starting to get into the world of investment in a significant way um, uh, uh, at that point in terms of creating funds or starting their own funds or jumping on board as LPs. How have you seen that transition or that growth in the athlete mindset from I'm going to get money now to do this for a brand versus actually I'm going to invest my own time, sweat equity in terms of building this up, but then get potentially far greater returns down the line. Are, are, are people way more, is there a balance? Like, are there people who are just like, do you know what? No, I'm just going to, I'm just going to take the sponsorship money, the NIL money, whatever it is, and just like focus on that. Um, or are you seeing more of a, fo- more of a focus on, let's say chapter two of, of a career? So I'd say if you ask their wealth manager, it's one thing. If you ask the the player, it's different. <laughs> um, you know, there's, um, you know, I'd say, you know, these, most of these folks want to build a legacy and you can't build that on just one bot that you're doing. And really the consumer informs this. The consumer is so smart. They can read right through a paid ad and buzzy gets eyeballs, but you know, what is that athlete doing on a day-to-day basis that's picked up in the background of their social media, background of something, they can really tell when somebody is bought in on something. And, and so, you know, I think most folks that we've seen want to build that equity stake and they know that's going to be worth way more in the long term than an immediate cash pay today. And to your point, it is a balance. A lot of our folks have brand deals and that's great current income. But I think as they think about you know, what am I going to stand for? What's going to be my legacy in the long term? They really look to how can I own equity in something? How can I start my own brand? How can I align with growth funds out here that are going to help me um, in the in the journey? And so, you know, what we've seen a lot of is kind of athletes and then titans of industry coming together, forming their own brands, mm-hmm. and you see just like this this work that ethic that was on the field now for the brand that the athletes are bringing to it, and that's that's inspiring to us. So. Um, I'd say that the mindset has shifted towards how do I own equity and build something for the long term? And, you know, I think maybe I go back to Kobe Bryant or somebody like that, that body armor did yet with Stible Investments, so many just amazing deals and you know, has made so much money over. You could even go back to Michael Jordan for that, but just has made so much money over the years in the intangibles that probably his wealth manager that day said, 
that's eh, not a good one. <laughs> For sure. Have you come across, um, I guess you'd call it a conf- conflict of interest or something like that, but where a potential um, uh, a potential target or portfolio company um, operates in the same field as um, a company that is a sponsor or a you know marketing partner for one of your LPs and where you have to kind of bridge that situation or is it, it, it is, is it just you guys invest in things that are so new and different that that hasn't really come up we haven't come across that yet you know i think um so we're investors in therabody which makes theragun uh they're in beauty uh there's a coke pepsi out there with hyperice um which is a very similar competitor a lot of our guys have brand deals with hyperice and you know i think it's at the end of the day it's about growing the recovery tech pie if both of those companies win, we're all winners and that's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not about, you know, how can everybody crush this company here? Um, we just look at it as it's expanding the overall TAM. More people are seeing it. And to your point, these companies are in their growth stage. They're young. And so it's more about just, hey, let's get eyeballs on it. Like I always think of the, the Coke, Pepsi debate. If you put a Coke machine or a Pepsi machine, well, if you put both of them next to them, somebody's going to pick a soda and yeah. it's just growing the overall pie. So. Yeah, I, that's really the only instance where I think we've run into something where we have folks that are aligned with different brands. But yeah, I see that that overall P and L just growing the overall TAM, and we can all be winners here. Um, how have you guys focused on consumer growth? What is it that you look at, and what are the what are the key things when a founder is sitting in front of you that you're looking at from the investor perspective to say this is what we want out of this company because we believe that if we bring consumers to this product, it's going to. Yeah. So I'll start with kind of what we're seeing as far as deal flow. So you have companies that might've been a little overheated and by a little, I mean a lot in 2021, <laughs> you know, raising these banner rounds, everything's great. Let's hire Let's go to the moon and got a huge gut check over the past 12, 14 months. And, you know, they're coming back to market and, Multiples you can press, the business may or may not have performed as well. And they're taking a piece of humble pie, phenomenal companies, great ideas. And what we've seen is the founders are making the unfortunate cuts, but really optimizing the business for this longer, tougher duration environment. And yeah, so that's one bucket of deals that we're seeing come to market. Um, what's nice about that is their household brands, you know, um, you know, something that we can sink our teeth into. Maybe we looked at the last round. Um, but what I'm more optimistic about is founders over the past 24, 36 months that started in COVID, hit a supply chain crisis, Omicron, rising interest rates, the capital tide has been completely out. They have no access to capital, but are still growing, have built these just scrappy fundamental businesses that are growing you know, 100% year over year in this environment and in a profitable measure. Like to me, that is the vintage type deals that make downturns like this five, six years from now, your biggest returners. And so um, seeing those come to market right now is, I think, getting all of us very excited. And then also figuring out from the last class, who's going to make it, who's made the right cuts, and you know is going to be here for the long term. Maybe they're eyeing a 22 IPO, and that's more like 25, 26 IPO. Um, so really going between those. As far as our underwriting, so we focus 75% of our fund on that Series B. And generally, that maps out to call it $40 million US top line of revenue, um, some measure of profit, 
profitability. And in this growth stage, a lot of folks are plowing their marketing dollars into a high ROAS uh, to drive revenue. So it's not steady state 20% EBITDA margins, but getting close there. Um, and we see just that path to liquidity. And we know that if we write a $10 million check into this, that's just going to help the company grow and pull forward five years of growth into three. And so that's kind of our mindset as we look at the growth realm. Um, you know, these, as we mentioned before, category leading brands that we feel very confident putting our talent behind, um, not a young, buzzy startup that might may or may not be here in 24 months. And that comes back to the founder maturity. You know, is it their second, third company at this point? Have they been around the block before? Or if they haven't, do they have that discipline instilled? Um, and then on the buyout side, you know, just scale businesses that we know we can come in, activate our network and add value to. Speaking of that network, and like, let, let's take that $10 million check kind of as an example, you know, a $10 million check from you guys with your LPs and kind of the, the amplification effect that you can have, especially in the, in, in the consumer industry is very different to, you know, anybody else. How do you realistically and pragmatically, because this is always the situ- this is always the challenge, right? With, with, when you're, when you're in-house, you kind of, you can very easily amplify beyond the scale of the of, of, of reality um, what the impact could be. How do you take a realistic approach to saying, okay, 10 million from us plus this amplification from RLPs is going to equal equals this output? What's what's your calculus behind that? Yeah. So the first thing we do is have them call our previous founders because you're right, it is it's different for each company. And we're not gonna, you know, overpromise under deliver on these. And it really it, it comes down to figuring out what works for the company and i think a lot of people go into investments here's my 90-day plan we're going to do xyz in this first 90 days and then good luck like keep it going it's it's really a partnership over time and that can be as we do a ton of events activations all these fun charity things just getting the brand there and you know highlighting them on those platforms all the way down to they're launching a new product and they need xyz micro influencers We'll curate the smallest dinner for those influencers, set the, uh, the folks up in front. Management can talk to them about it. Some folks have even invested into the company off of these um, types of dinners and gives them a real authentic message to go deliver to their fan base about who this company is, why they love it, why they might have invested in it outside of RX3 um, you know, to really drive that. But you know, it is so different for each company that it really takes time to understand what, how can we best support this company? And no two companies look alike. So it's, um, yeah, I got to give credit to Kira who runs our value add. She sits with that CMO day in and day out and really figures out like, how can we leverage our talent in the best way? And is it the big buzzy names that are going to move the needle? Or is it that 500K micro influencer that's going to be there? Or is it a brand partnership with one of our portfolio companies or friendly companies? And so, you know, it's hard to sit here today and say, yeah, here's our playbook, you know, A to Z, here's how we do it. We're learning each day and we have some phenomenal case studies, some that flop and, you know, we take shots at different things and we're not all perfect, but we're learning. It's the nature of venture, right? But on, on, on that point, you guys deployed all of fund one, you raised fund two now, and you said you've deployed into one portfolio company. Yeah. One investment, we uh, did a controlled buyout of an outdoor recreational company. Okay. 
Would you say that you are in a better position right now as uh, an investment fund? Because, you know, obviously, you know, you talked about it. The, 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 the macro environment means that the valuations that we were seeing, you know, even 24 months ago have, have completely gone off a cliff, let alone plateaued. You know, interest rates are obviously changing the liquidity in the market. Um, and uh, And so you know, deal, deal flow is probably, um, much easier to come by and much easier to kind of, um, stack. But then at the same time, it is more difficult for things to be successful in the short term and to, and to achieve a greater valuation, even if, you know, we're not talking about IPO at this stage. So would you say that you're in a, in a better position, different position, same kind of, how would you characterize fund one versus fund two, given the macro environment right now? Yeah, I think it's always great to be sitting on capital and have that raise. And I'll go back. It was not an easy fundraise, by the way. Nobody was looking for a new <laughs> idea, especially on the institutional side. So happy to have the capital. And you know, for LPs, I think we're walking on eggshells a little bit here. I was wrong in 2022. I thought by back half of 23, we'd be back open for business. The equity markets would be humming. It has been longer. And I'm worried about 24. What surprised me is a consumer is stuck in the pocket. Yeah, they're still buying, they're still spending. As it relates to sports, you know, that's a non-negotiable for most folks. They're going to support their team. They're going to go to the game. They're going to watch XYZ. They're going to buy the merch. Yeah, so as it relates to sports, that to me is just indestructible. People will skip the next iPhone. They'll do XYZ. But um, I do worry about 24 and that the consumer does do some belt tightening, says, you know, I don't need that consumer product. It's discretionary versus something that's a utility for me. Um, so worried there. And then, you know, I don't think we know the next shoe that's going to drop. Interest rates are high. The Fed has all but broken the system in the United States. And we're just trying to figure out what is the aftermath of that. Um, I, we don't have a healthy public market right now. We had a couple new entrants test it um, last few weeks. I, I have not seen that humming. So it's really hard sitting here at a growth stage where we're looking three to five years to an IPO. If that goalpost isn't there for that IPO, kind of hard to underwrite here. So um, I think what our LPs have said to us and we've communicated to them is let's be patient. There's no need to rush into this just to be in a hold year for another year because it's depleting IRR for our LPs. And, and so I think we're optimistic. A lot of new folks coming to market over the past few months here that are A plus brands. Um, but I think at the same time, we got to figure out what does 24 look like? What can we, we can't predict 25 or what the markets are going to look like down, down the line. But if we can find great management teams that have like, you know, just bulletproof models that have run it in a capital efficient way, happy to entertain those conversations. And I think those are what's going to win in the long term. Uh, but it's, I think what you're hearing is it's really difficult right now. Does that mean that you look a little bit earlier in the life cycle of a company potentially in order to uh, in order to potentially take a longer run at it or not so much because you still see the value add at that consumer growth stage uh, and not the initial uh, the initial growth phase I think there's a little bit of a flight to safety in a larger company right now that is everybody's chasing down and that's not where you're seeing the valuation decline like the the big brands out there that everybody knows that are growing. I think everybody's like, oh yeah, I'll just go back that because I know that's a safe place to park capital. Um, there are those tweener companies that might be at that series A standpoint somewhere there that 
I think are incredibly interesting um, right now. And we're closely tracking each subsector. What Series A company just raised? What are they doing? Um, how can we add value and get to know those brands today? So as they come up for that B or pre-B bridge round, you know, we can be there talking to them. But a um, little too risky and not our model to kind of go into that C pre-revenue type company, even though seeing a lot of great ideas out there. Have you have you ever given the makeup of your LPs been tempted to get into uh, a sports investment, whether it's a sports tech investment or media or rights? And I, I'm I'm sure your LPs are approached individually all the time yeah. from all sorts of different angles for you know the newest and greatest you know um, oh, like, football competition to the newest ball to the newest like whatever. Talk to us about that. Yeah, so you know I think what we try to do is uh, we get as you can imagine, every day, thing, <laughs> you know, for Aaron's recovery, it's like 60 emails a day of try this product, do this. I'm like, he's, mm-hmm. he's fine. He's got a doctor, <laughs> you know, he's uh, got the team, but yeah, a lot of folks do, um, yeah, they're one-off investments. We just try to be that, that gut check for them. that says, Hey, it's not an RX three deal, but here's the questions and what we'd be looking for in the company today. And by all means, if you're passionate about this, you think it's a great business, we're not going to stand in your way. Um, but a lot of times our LPs will come to us first and say, Hey, no, it's not for you, but here's an idea that we just had. Um, should we run at it? And so, uh, it can be supportive there. I think a lot of folks are very interested in team deals and being minority owners somewhere, um, whether it's not EPL, but all the way down the line, you know, smaller soccer teams, um, pickleball leagues are huge here right now. There, there's, there's all sorts of, uh, yeah, teams that folks are getting involved with. But going back to that equity comment, like people want to be part of something and start building that legacy. And they know if they can get in with a team early on, not only are they going to meet amazing people, but it's going to give them something to be passionate off the field. And so it's mm. been a lot of that. And that, yeah, every, every tech device in the world has you know, somebody backing it, whether or not they know about it. Absolutely. So um, with, the, uh, with kind of the um, deployment of Fund 2, where do you see the real opportunities? And I know you talked about kind of the companies that are showing scrappy growth and having managed to kind of do 100, 100% um, uh, percent growth without uh, significant capital. But walk us through kind of which, which industries are you really seeing those types of companies flourish in and what consumers are looking at right now? Yeah, so to me, it's the companies that have that innovative ethos and we're going to go here for a second and we come right back. Okay. What AI can do uh, for a company as far as customer service, automating workflows, the companies that are able to adopt something like that and move it into their headless stack for their, you know, everything that they're doing to turbocharge their company are going to see outsized growth. That's a second that I'll spend on AI, <laughs> you know, but um, to that the ethos point, you know, I think how these companies that have this tech DNA and ability to apply that to a consumer adaptation to build subscription uh, revenue, all sorts of you know cohorts that can really grow in a SaaS-like environment. You know, that's what's interesting to us, and that validates the product. We might not be the the best product people, but we know that hey, if we can get this product into the hands of our folks, there is some sort of LTV or retention curve to it. That's something that we can really get behind because all of a sudden you're now not growing in a linear fashion, it is exponential. Mm. And so that lends itself well to consumer tech plays. Um, we have looked a lot at longevity and how healthcare 
touches a consumer um, and what is that consumer adaptation? How can we get the best of you know, longevity um, technology that's evolving with the help of AI um, into our, our deal funnel? But, um, you know, I think for us, it's really finding what is that next lever that the company can do to really drive outsized returns. And at that growth stage, it's such a critical spot where you can put your capital to work to help that uh, needle move. Hmm. Um, and so that, that's kind of where we're at. I mean, I, we have our subsector study and you know, we go through it at each quarter of where are we interested, what's working for us. And all the way down to the pet side, that's very, hey, I'm shipping dog food. It's got a nice retention to it. All the way to looking at gaming companies and what are these companies that can really catch fire and move fast and um, we can leverage our LP base. So. Um, it is a very busy intersection is how I characterize it, but we can sit there and be patient, be a little bit picky in how we um, go into each subsector. If we're not the experts in it, we're going to go figure it out and become the experts in the subsector before we even entertain you know, going into it. How do, you, how do you take that step kind of between identifying the sector getting behind the founders and then connecting the founders to the LPs in order to be able to really add value add. You talked about the value add side of the uh, side of the fund, um, uh, which is obviously a significant portion of what you do. So um, how do you approach that? At what stage do you do that? Like, do you sound out the LPs right at the beginning of looking at, uh, looking at a company and kind of saying, okay, we got founders here who are really cool. We think that we can do X, Y, Z, and you introduce them to to uh, to the LPs, or is it kind of further down the line? You have to do a vet first because uh, you want to make sure that there's going to be a fit. I'm just fascinated about that kind of interplay, which is which is a which which must be a tricky one to balance, right? Because it's one thing for a traditional institutional LP, you know, they'll probably want to be in pretty early on a conversation, versus introducing them to 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 these people who are, you know, who everybody wants to meet. They're you know they're celebrities. So, so yeah, you meet the company. Um, generally, it's somebody we've been in awe of for a while. We've been following their success, and we're excited to get in there, do our first meeting. Um, we'll do our initial diligence, just light touch. Is it checking all the boxes? Do we feel good about it? Then we, as a fund, will do a go-no-go call. Is this something that we feel like if we get all our answers um, coming in line that we can really stand behind? Because last thing we want to do is waste founder time. Um, you know, is this something that we can do? So we all meet as an investment committee. We'll sit down and say, yes, this is something that we're excited about. Let's go validate the data. Let's go dig in deep. But also then let's spin up our value add team to really start figuring out here who's, who's going to be our folks that we get into this fold. So while we're doing kind of that confirmatory diligence, we're going out to our LPBA saying, hey, have you heard of this company? Have you used it? Pinging different folks, getting them in the fold. So that when we do our investment committee memo and we're talking to getting to the, the goal line, um, you know, we're talking to the founders and, yeah, we're doing our work on the, the fun side, but also talk to these three or four folks. They're fanatics about your business. They know it. They love it. See how you can best work with them and leverage them. And as part of our investment committee memo, one of the pillars is what is our value add? How are we differentiated capital? Because at the end of the day, we don't want to just throw money at something, sit back in the cap stack and walk away. That's not our model. It is very mm -hmm. much, how can we be involved and add value here uh, beyond our dollar? And so it is woven into our IC process. And then uh, Kira does a phenomenal job of that. How do we integrate it in the long form? 
And that is, you know, different tech partners that we have at RX3, getting that plugged in, you know, so we can actually track those dollars and conversions. So, you know, it all kind of marries up at the end, but it is premeditated early on. So before we move on, I have a question. Who from your LPs actually reads the full investment memo? And I mean themselves personally, not their wealth manager. So Aaron knows everything inside and out. He, they wow. always come to us. Um, yeah, I'd say all their wealth managers certainly read it. They know the companies. Nobody's going through that 150-page IC memo. Uh, <laughs> um, that's why we have LP Day and can walk them through the highlights. Um, but you know, on our institutional side, you if we have a double space somewhere, they're calling us and saying, "Hey, <laughs> yeah." So you know, <laughs> we get it from both sides. Analysts got to get paid. Exactly. Um, so you know, it is a it's a dichotomy of. Yeah, and we report quarterly to everybody too. So, you know, it is constant communication and flow. And, you know, generally, you know, these folks might not have the time to sit there and pour through something for an hour. So we're just hopping on the phone with them. You know, we'll call them and say, hey, this quarter, hey, we're up, down, left, right. We did this investment. We're doing this cap call for this thing. Here's what we're excited about. Now, tell me about what you're excited about. And, you know, knocking that out in 15 minutes with folks is, you know, generally better for them than pouring through, you know, financial statements for a while. Awesome. So just as we wrap up here, um, uh, you talked about, you know, the, the LPs being excited about what, what are you excited about? Let's break out the crystal ball a little bit. And, um, you know, you've got, um, you've got a bunch of capital to deploy over, you know, uh, 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 an interesting time horizon. What are you excited about? Um, uh, and it could be as specific as, you know, looking forward to, Looking forward to finding the companies. It could be about you know general trends. I'll leave it open to you as to like what what's really exciting for the next uh, for the next period. Yeah. Um, so out of COVID, I feel like people really leaned into communities, and that's their tribe going forward. And how that lends itself to consumer is if you have an amazing product and you can bring in the community aspect of that, you're no longer just a company that sells a widget. You're building a fan base, you're building folks that trust you and want to be a part of you. And so I think what I look for is never the next consumer hard good product that's going to sell you know, XYZ. It's who's your tribe and what is that community talking about? And are they going to allow you to sell them and open up their wallet for more? And so um, as it relates to going back to the fans, the fans are hanging in the pocket. They're, they're there. They want to be a part of something. They want to be with their tribe. And so when consumer companies can really build that, the world's your oyster. And you can sell them different things, get different brands into that ecosystem, and really just prop up that person with that one-stop shop for pick your, pick your vertical. If it's fitness, they're going to go to you for everything. If it's VMS or healthcare, they're going to go to you for that. And so, you know, I think the the deeper layer of what I'm looking for is those fanatic communities and they're there and they're expanding. It's easier to access them. It's easier to get them involved in what you're doing. There's so many new ways to do that. And so I think the, the new age of consumer will really have those aspects, those elements of just this diehard fan, like a, any sports team for the brand. And so... That's what I'm excited about. Um, it is existing. It is building out there. And the companies that service that, you know, those will be RX3 investments. Speaking of that, and, uh, and we'll close on this, any investments that your LPs have brought you uh, over the past uh, 
since 2016 you guys have been going, um, that you guys passed on either because of thesis or because it didn't fit that you regret. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Viore comes to mind. That was uh, one where we got some swatches and oh. some sketches and, you know, yeah. just that was a tough one. Peloton comes to mind. You know, there, there's a laundry list of you know, deals that we did not do for XYZ reason that I actually memorialize it each year for myself of like, you know, you passed on this. Why? What were you thinking? Because, you know, this company is just blown up. And, you know, at the time, good reasons, I think. But, you know, it, sometimes, you know, you just, you kick yourself. Uh, so, yeah, happens all the time. And, you know, sometimes you have a strong thesis on something that, you know, just doesn't pan out, doesn't work. You're too early or too late or there's too many competitors that you just didn't see. And so, you know, I think we do a lot of triage at the end of the year on what did we look at? What did we miss? You know, if, what did we pass on and it's crushing it? And how would we readjust that investment lens for the next year? And yeah, you know, going back to it, you're always learning. Any sports investments on the horizon? We see a lot of teams come through and you know, not for the fun directly, but you know, that's something that we can pass on to our LPs and you know, all of them are clamoring for how do I get involved with that team, this team. So um, like that, and I'm trying to think, actually there is one on the horizon. We'll talk about it as soon as we get a little bit closer, but it could be a really fun league. We uh, we we may have to have a uh, uh, an exclusive uh, an exclusive podcast for an announcement on that soon. Hundred percent. So um, this brings us to the end of the podcast. Um, before we sign off, I just want to remind our listeners that if you like what you heard, please make sure to go to wherever you get your podcasts and give us a like and subscribe. Uh, go to our website sportsloft.co and sign up for our newsletter, and make sure that you follow us on socials at sportsloftHQ. All that remains is for me to say a massive thank you to our distinguished guest, Andrew. Thank you so much for joining us on the Sports Law Podcast. Of course. Thank you, Yanni. And feel free to reach out, folks. You know, we're um, Andrew at rx3growthpartners.com. I'd love to have the conversation. Well, uh, I'm, I'm sure you're going to get a lot, of, uh, a, a lot of new sports properties throwing, uh, throwing ideas your way. Please do. Thank you, everyone, for joining us in the Sports Loft, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Goodbye. <laughs>